Chapter Three of the Tree of Appomattox. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Tree of Appomattox by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Three. Over the Hills. Dick and his little troop rode on through the silent country and they were so watchful and thorough that they protected fully the right flank of the marching column one or two shots were fired but the reports came from such distant points that he knew the bullets had fallen short but while he beat up the forests and fields for sharpshooters he was very thoughtful he had a mind that looked far ahead even in youth and the incident at the house weighed upon him he foresaw the coming triumph of the north and of the union a triumph won after many great disasters but he remembered what an old man at a blacksmith shop in tennessee had told him and his comrades before the battle of stone river whatever happened however badly the south might be defeated the southern soil would still be held by southern people and their bitterness would be intense for many a year to come the victor forgives easily the vanquished cannot forget his imagination was active and vivid often attaining truths that logic and reason do not reach and he could understand what had happened at the house where the ordinary mind would have been left wondering it is likely also that the sergeant had a perception of it though not as sharp and clear as dick's when the war is over and the soldiers all go back that is them that's livin he said it won't be them that fought that'll keep the grudge it's the women who've lost their own that'll hate longest i think what you say is true whitley said dick but let's not talk about it any more it hurts me too said the sergeant but don't you like this country that we're riding through mr mason yes it's fine but most of it's been cropped too hard i remember reading somewhere that george washington himself said away back in the last century that slave labor so careless and reckless was ruining the soil of virginia likely that's true sir but it won't have much chance to keep on ruin it wouldn't you say sir that was a johnny on his horse up there i can soon tell you said dick unslinging his glasses on their right was a hill towering above the rest the slopes were wooded densely but the crest was quite bare upon it sat a solitary figure on horseback evidently watching the marching column dick put his glasses to his eyes the hill and the lone sentinel enlarged suddenly and came nearer the pulses in his temples beat hard although he could not see the watcher's face clearly because he too was using glasses he knew him instantly he would have known that heroic figure and the set of the shoulders and head anywhere he felt astonished at first but it passed quickly it was likely that they should meet again some time or other since the field of battle had narrowed so much sergeant whitley who invariably saw everything had seen dick's slight start someone you know sir he asked yes sergeant it's my cousin harry kenton you've heard me talk of him often a finer and braver and stronger fellow never lived he's using glasses too and i've no doubt he's recognized me dick suddenly waved his glasses aloft and harry kenton replied in like manner he sees and knows me cried dick but the sergeant was very sober he foresaw that these youths bound by such ties of blood and affection might come into battle against each other the same thought was in dick's mind despite his pleasure at the distant view of harry 
we exchanged shots in the manassas campaign said dick we were sheltered and we didn't know each other until several bullets had passed three more horsemen have joined him said the sergeant those are his friends said dick who had put the glasses back to his eyes look how they stand out against the sun the four horsemen in a row at equal distances from one another were enlarged against a brilliant background of red and gold their attitude was impressive as they sat there unmoving like statues cut in stone they were in truth harry and dalton st Clair and happy tom and farther on the invincibles were marching the two colonels at their head to the valley of virginia to reinforce early and to make headway if possible against sheridan harry was deeply moved kinship and the long comradeship of youth count for much perhaps for more in the south than anywhere else stirred by a sudden emotion he took off his cap and waved it as a signal of hail and farewell the four removed their own caps and waved them also then they turned their horses in unison rode over the hill and were gone from dick's sight sergeant whitley was not educated but his experience was vast he knew men and he had a gift of sympathy he understood dick's feelings all civil wars are cruel he said the killing of one's own people is worst of all but as they went on dick's melancholy fell from him and he had only pleasant recollections of the meeting besides the continued movement and freedom were inspiriting in the highest degree to youth although it was august the day was cool and the blue sky of virginia was never brighter a refreshing breeze blew from dim blue mountains that they could see far ahead and as they entered a wide stretch of open country where ambush was impossible the trumpets called in the flankers we shall make the lower mountains about midnight and we'd better camp then until dawn don't you think so gentlemen asked colonel hertford of his associate colonels winchester and bedford the plan seems sound to me replied bedford the pennsylvanian of course we want to reach sheridan as soon as possible but if we push the horses too hard we'll break them down dick had dropped back with warner and pennington but he heard the colonels talking we all saw general sheridan at the great battles in the west he said i particularly remember how he planted himself and the batteries at perryville and saved us from defeat but he seems to be looming up so much more now in the east he's become the steward of our side said warner i've heard some of the people at washington don't believe in him but he has general grant's confidence and that's enough for me not that i put military authority over civil rule but war has to be fought by soldiers i look for lively times in the valley of virginia anyway the lord has delivered me from the trenches at petersburg said pennington think of me used to roaming over a thousand miles of plains shut up between mud walls only four or five feet apart i believe that with sheridan you're going to have all the roaming you want said dick they passed silent farmhouses but took nothing from them ample provision was carried on extra horses or their own and the three colonels were anxious not to inflame the country by useless seizures twilight came and the low mountains sank away in the dust but they had already reached a higher region where nearly all the hills were covered with forest and colonel hertford once more spread out the flankers dick and the sergeant as before taking the right with their little troop 
The night was fortunately clear, and almost as light as day, with a burnished moon and brilliant stars, and they did not greatly fear ambush. Dick shrewdly reckoned that Early would need all his men in the valley, and after the first day at sharpshooting they would withdraw to meet greater demands. Nevertheless, he took a rather wide circuit, and came to a lonely portion of the hills, where the forest was unbroken, save for the narrow path on which they rode. The sergeant dismounted once, and examined the ground. "'Nothing has passed here,' he said, "'and the woods and thickets are so dense that men can't ride through them. The path admitted of only two abreast, and the forest was so heavy that it shut out most of the moonlight. But they rode on confidently, Dick and the sergeant leading. If it had not been for the size of the trees, Dick would have thought he was back in the wilderness. They heard now and then the wings of night-birds among the leaves, and occasionally some small animal will scuttle across the path. They forded a narrow but deep stream, its waters black from decayed vegetation, and continued to push on briskly through the unbroken forest, until the sergeant said in a low voice to Dick, I think I hear something ahead of us. They pulled back on the rein so suddenly that those behind almost rode into them. Then they sat there, a solid, compact little group, while Dick and the sergeant listened intently. It's hoofbeats, said Dick, very faint, because they're far away. I think you're right, sir, said the sergeant, but they're coming this way. Yes, and at a steady pace, no stops and no hesitation, which shows that it's somebody who doesn't fear any harm. The beats are pretty solid. A heavy man on a heavy horse. About three hundred yards away, don't you think? About that, sir. Maybe a farmer going home? Maybe, but I don't think so, sir. At any rate, we'll soon see, because our unknown comes on without a break. There he is now. They had a comparatively clear view straight ahead, and the figure of a man and a horse emerged from the shadows. The sergeant raised his rifle. But as the man came on without fear, he dropped it again. Some strange effect of the moonlight exaggerated the rider and his horse, making both look gigantic, blending them together in such manner that a tremendous centaur seemed to be riding them down. In an instant or two the general effect vanished, and as a clear beam fell upon the man's face, Dick uttered an exclamation of relief. "'Shepherd!' he said and he felt then that he should have known before that it was Shepard who was coming. He alone of all men seemed to have the gift of omniscience and omnipresence. The spy drew his horse to a halt directly in front of him and saluted. "'Lieutenant Mason, sir,' he said. "'I'm glad it's you, Mr. Shepard,' said Dick. "'I think that in this wood we'll need the hundred eyes that once belonged to Argus, but which he has passed on to you.' "'Thank you, sir,' said Shepard. But the man at whom he looked most was the sergeant, and the sergeant looked most at him. One was a sergeant, and the other was a spy, but each recognized in the other a king among men. Eyes swept over powerful chests and shoulders, and open, bold countenances, and signified approval. They had met before, but they were more than well met here, in the loneliness and the dark, amid dangers, where skill and courage and not rank counted and then they nodded without speaking as an indian chief would to an indian chief his equal you are coming to meet us mr shepherd said dick i expected to find you on this path and you have something to tell a small confederate force is in the mountains awaiting colonel hertford 
it's inferior to his in numbers but it knows the country thoroughly and has the sympathy of all the inhabitants who bring to it news of everything do you know these confederate troops yes sir their corps is a regiment called in general lee's army the invincibles but it includes two other skeleton regiments colonel talbot who leads the invincibles is the commander of them all he has i should say slightly less than a thousand men you know a good deal about this regiment called the invincibles do you not mr shepherd i do sir its colonel talbot and its lieutenant colonel st hilaire are as brave men as any that ever lived and the regiment has an extraordinary reputation in the southern army for courage two of general lee's young staff officers are also with them now who are they lieutenant harry kenton and lieutenant george dalton dick with his troop rode at once to colonel hertford and reported colonel hertford listened and then glanced at dick kenton is your cousin i believe he said yes sir replied dick he has been in the east all the time once in the second manassas campaign we came face to face and fired at each other although we did not know who was who then now here you are in opposing forces again with the war converging as it is it was more than likely that you should confront each other once more but i don't expect to be shooting at harry and i don't think he'll be shooting at me will you ride into the woods again on the right mr shepherd said colonel hertford perhaps you may get another view of this confederate force dick you go with him warner you and pennington come with me dick and shepherd entered the woods side by side and the youth who had a tendency toward self-analysis found that his liking and respect for the spy increased the general profession of a spy might be disliked but in shepherd it inspired no repulsion rather it increased his heroic aspect and dick found himself relying upon him also he felt intuitively that when he rode into the forest with shepherd he rode into no danger or if by any chance he did ride into danger they would under the guidance of the spy ride safely out of it again shepherd turned his horse toward the deeper forest which lay on the left and very soon they were out of sight of the main column although the sound of hoofs and of arms clinking against one another still came faintly to them and yet peace the peace for which dick longed so ardently seemed to dwell there in the woods the summer was well advanced and as the light winds blew the leaves already beginning to dry rustled against one another the sound was pleasant and soothing he and harry kenton and other lads of their age had often heard it on autumn nights when they roamed through the forests round pendleton in search of the raccoon and the opossum it all came back to him with astonishing vividness and force he was a boy and man in one but he could scarcely realize the three years and more of war that had made him a man in one way it seemed a century and in another it seemed but yesterday the water rose in his eyes at the knowledge that this same cousin who was like a brother to him one with whom he had hunted fished played and swum was there in the woods less than a mile away and that he might be in battle with him again before morning you were thinking of your cousin mr kenton said shepherd suddenly yes but how did you know asked dick in surprise because your face suddenly became melancholy the moonlight is good enabling me to read your look and sadness is not your natural expression 
you recall that your cousin of whom you think so much is at hand with your enemies and the rest is an easy matter of putting two and two together you're right in all you say mr shepherd but i wish harry wasn't there shepherd was silent and then dick added passionately why doesn't the south give up she's worn down by attrition she's blockaded hard and fast when she loses troops in battle she can't find new men to take their places she's short in food ammunition medicines everything the whole confederacy can't be anything but a shell now why don't they quit pride and a lingering hope that the unexpected will happen yes we've won the war mr mason but it's yet far from finished many a good man will fall in this campaign ahead of us in the valley and in other campaigns too but as i see it the general result is already decided nothing can change it look between these trees and you can see the southern force now dick from his horse gazed into a valley down which ran a good turnpike looking white in the moonlight upon this road rode the southern force in close ranks but too far away for any sound of their hoofbeats to come to the watchers the moon which was uncommonly bright now colored them all with silver and dick with his imaginative mind easily turned them into a train of the knights of old clad in glittering mail they created such a sense of illusion and distance time as well as space that the peace of the moment was not disturbed it was a spectacle out of the past rather than present war you are familiar with the country of course said dick yes replied shepherd our road as you know is now running parallel with that on which the southern force is traveling with a broad ridge between but several miles farther on the ridge becomes narrower and the roads merge we're sure to have a fight there like you i'm sorry your cousin harry kenton is with them it seems that you and he know a good deal of each other yes circumstances have brought us into opposition again and again from the beginning of the war but the same circumstances have made me know more about him than he does about me yet i mean that we shall be friends when peace comes and i don't think he'll oppose my wish he won't harry has a generous and noble nature but he wouldn't stand being patronized merely because he happened to be on the beaten side i shouldn't think of trying to do such a thing now we've seen enough and i think we'd better go back to the colonel's with our news they rode through the woods again and for most of the distance there was no sound from the marching troops the wonderful feeling of peace returned the sky was as blue and soft as velvet the great stars glittered and danced and the wind among the rustling leaves was like the soft singing of a violin at one point they crossed a little brook which ran so swiftly down among the trees that it was a foam of water they dismounted drank hastily and then let the horses take their fill i like these hills and forests and their clear waters said dick and judging by the appearance it must be a fine country to which we're coming it is it's something like your kentucky bluegrass although it's smaller and it's hemmed in by sharper and bolder mountains but i should say that the shenandoah valley is close to a hundred and twenty miles long and from twenty-five to forty miles wide not including its spur the luray valley west of the massanuttons as large as one of the german principalities and as fine as any of them it's where stonewall jackson made that first and famous campaign of his and it's lucky for us that we don't have to face him there now early is a good general they say 
but he's no stonewall jackson and we're to be led by sheridan i think he saved us at perryville in kentucky but they say he's become a great cavalry commander do you know him mr shepherd well a young man and a little man why you'd overtop him more than half a head mr mason but he has a great soul for battle he's the kind that will strike and strike and keep on striking and that's the kind we need now here are our own men just ahead i see the three colonels riding together they went forward swiftly and told what they had seen shepard also describing the nature of the ground ahead and the manner in which the two roads converged which column do you think will reach the junction first asked colonel hertford they'll come to it about the same time replied shepard and so a clash is unavoidable it was not our purpose to fight before we reached general sheridan but since the enemy wants it it must be that way orders were issued for the column to advance as quietly as possible while skirmishers were thrown out to prevent any ambush shepard rode again into the forest but dick remained with warner and pennington warner as usual was as cool as ice and spoke in the precise scholarly way that he liked we march parallel with the enemy he said and yet we're bound to meet him and fight it's a beautiful mathematical demonstration the roads are not parallel in an exact sense but converge to a point hence it is not our wish but the convergence of these roads that bring us together in conflict so we see that the greatest issues of our life are determined by mathematics it is a splendid and romantic study i wish you fellows would pay more attention to it mathematics beautiful and romantic exclaimed pennington why george you're out of your head there's nothing in the world i hate more than the sight of an algebra the trouble is with you and not with the algebra you were alluding in a depreciatory manner to my head but it is your own head that fails when i said algebra was a beautiful and romantic study i used the adjectives purposely out of thousands of adjectives in the dictionary i selected those two to fit the case what could be more delightful than an abstruse problem in algebra you never know along what charming paths of the mind it will lead you moreover there is over it a veil of mystery you can't surmise what delightful secrets it will reveal later on what will the end be what a powerful appeal such a question will always make to a highly intelligent and imaginative mind like mine no poetry no beauty why every algebraic problem from the very nature of its being is surcharged with it it is like the mystery of life itself only in this case we solve the mystery and if i may change the metaphor an algebraic formula is like a magnificent diamond cutting its way through the thick and opaque glass which represents the unknown i long for the end of the war for many reasons but chief among them is the fact that i may return to the romantic and illimitable fields of the mathematical problem i didn't know anyone could ever become dithyrambic about algebra said dick what's dithyrambic asked pennington spouting frank but george as we know is a queer fellow they grow him in vermont where they love steep mountains deep ravines and hard mathematics they had been speaking in low tones but now they ceased entirely shepherd had come back from the forest reporting that the junction of the roads was near and the confederate force was marching toward it at the utmost speed the hostile columns might be in conflict in half an hour now and the men prepared themselves 
innumerable battles and skirmishes could never keep their hearts from beating harder when it became evident that they were to go under fire once more after the few orders necessary there was no sound save that of the march itself meanwhile the moon and stars were doing full duty and the night remained as bright as ever end of chapter three